Welcome to Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop, where you'll find the unique, the bizarre, and sometimes the haunted. Feel free to look around, peruse the items, and never fear. There's nothing here that bites. Hard, anyway. <laughs> Hello there. So pleased to see you return to Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. I am your shopkeeper, Chris Baker, and today we have got a curious item. If you'll take a look over here on the shelf, let me pull this down. It is a chest, a small chest, easily held and carried about. But this wooden chest is quite old with its brass fixtures, something one might find in an apothecary shop. Now, if I flip open this clasp and open this up, we'll see a myriad of glass vessels with their cork stoppers full of herbs and other minerals and such for creating ancient remedies. And it is alternative medicines and therapies that is the heart of today's episode of Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. So let's pull out the kinetoscope and take a look at the new Shudder original, Spoonful of Sugar. So before we get into Spoonful of Sugar, I want to address the 500-pound gorilla in the room as to why I am not talking about the new 2023 version of Children of the Corn. Well, my local movie theater did not carry this movie. Uh, now, there's a movie theater that I could have watched this in up in Erie, Pennsylvania. Uh, it's about a 40-minute drive. But ultimately, I've seen the trailers for this, I've got a good idea what's going on, and I know I'm not going to like it. I know I'm going to be really pissed off when I see it, and I'm going to be pissed off that I spent, you know, however much, 10 bucks to go see this movie in the movie theater. Now... The New Children of the Corn is coming out on Shudder on March 21st, I do believe. So, you know what? I'm just going to wait until I can see it on Shudder for, well, not for free, but uh, along with my subscription, I'll be able to watch it. And I, I just, you know, I'm hoping that the movie surprises me, but I don't think it will. So, I'm willing to wait to see it. Uh, I'm sorry if, if you, you know, if you care about what my thoughts are on a movie, uh, God bless you. You're doing God's work, and I thank you. But you're going to have to wait a little longer to hear what I think on Children of the Corn 2023. So uh, that's why I'm not doing it. But I have a couple movies this week that we're going to be talking about uh, from Shudder. A couple Shudder originals. And one of them being Spoonful of Sugar that came out uh, last week, March the 2nd. And we've got another one, Nocebo, that it was out a little earlier. I believe that came out in... It says it was uh, released in January, but I don't remember seeing much of it until like February. But over the past couple months, I finally got around to watching this movie. And both of them kind of tie together. Both of them are about uh, caregivers and nannies, if you will, with ill intent. And I, I've really enjoyed both these movies. So I'm kind of excited to talk about these two movies as opposed to a movie I'm pretty sure I'm not going to like, like Children of the Corn. And when that comes out, we'll talk about it uh, when it's available on Shutter because I do know it is uh, a, not a limited release for Children of the Corn, but not every theater is carrying this uh, turd of a movie from what I'm hearing from from early reviews and just from what I'm seeing uh, the abomination that they have made of Stephen King's really good short story and, and when we talk about Children of the Corn when it finally comes to that 
after it's released on Shudder. We're going to talk about the comparisons of this movie. We'll, we'll talk about the movie on its own merits, but we'll talk about the comparisons to the original short story, talk about the comparisons to the, the 1980s movie that scarred me for life as a kid, and we'll talk about why it scarred me for life as a kid. Uh, so uh, until then, uh, please bear with me, and uh, if you want to hear about Children of the Corn, it is coming, but right now we're going to talk about a movie that I, I'm really high on. I really liked this movie, Spoonful of Sugar. And uh, like I said, released last week on Shudder. From here on out, I am going to warn you, there are going to be spoilers. If you haven't seen it, go check it out on Shudder. If you don't have Shudder and you love horror, you really should get it. Because Shudder has been doing a really good job of picking up some quality horror movies. Uh, at least over the past year. I mean, they've had some off and on. But like last year, 2022, was just, uh, for me, a banner year for Shudder original movies. They had a lot of really good movies that came out. And even the not-so-great movies were still pretty good. So I really enjoyed last year. They're off to a really good start this year with some of the original releases we've seen. Uh, these two movies we're going to be talking about today. And then, of course, we'll talk about Nocebo on on Thursday's episode, but uh, I've really enjoyed uh, what Shudder's been doing. So if you haven't watched it, you don't have Shudder, pick up Shudder. Uh, it's a few bucks a month. You know, I'm not being paid to pimp them or anything like that, but I love horror. And it's a it's a small price to pay to have access to some pretty good classic horror movies and some pretty good new original content that they're putting out. But uh, go get Shudder, uh, watch it, and then come back and listen to this. If you don't care about spoilers, you've already watched it, then we're going to we're gonna press on with Spoonful of Sugar. Now, Spoonful of Sugar is directed by Mercedes Bryce Morgan, who I'm not terribly familiar with. Uh, I know she did a, a movie called Fixation last year. Uh, she's done a lot of music videos and stuff like that. But as far as like big uh, features, not a, a huge uh, body of work. So I'm really interested. I'm always interested to see uh, new directors or directors that are just kind of getting their feet wet in the horror game. I like to see what they bring to the table. And I really, I really like what Mercedes Morgan uh, or Mercedes Bryce Morgan did with this. Uh, it stars Morgan Saylor, Kat Foster, Miko Olivier, and Danilo Crivetti. And it is ultimately about this nanny who goes to work for this family, looking after their special needs child. And we find out that things aren't all they seem, both with the nanny and with the family. Uh, the family has got some, some real problems. Uh, the mother, father, the young son, Johnny, and, and especially Johnny, uh, it, it's it's alluded to that he's got problems beyond just the physical issues that he has. But when you bring these two entities, the, the nanny and Millicent and the family together, uh, both with, with secrets and both with not being truthful about uh, their intent and and what is truly going on, it, it makes for the perfect storm of weirdness, craziness, mayhem, and in, in this case, a lot of drugs and sensuality, and it's it's got a lot going on. Now, this isn't a traditional horror movie in that there's not a lot of scares, but what they do with this movie, what uh, Mercedes Bryce Morgan does with this movie is build a lot of tension and build a lot of unease. There's a lot of awkward dialogue, but it's not its not because the dialogue's poorly written. Uh, there's a big difference between that. You know, I've, I've watched some movies where the dialogue is just shit 
and it makes uh, a good performance feel awkward. This is awkward dialogue by intent, and the performances from the actors delivering this awkward dialogue is good, so it really adds an air of unease. Uh, There's a lot of dialogue that is very unnerving and a lot of situations that are very unnerving. And then when you combine that with the, the imagery that you see throughout this, it just makes for really creepy and bizarre. And like, by the time you're done watching it, you're saying, what the fuck just happened in a good way? You know, I've watched movies before where I'm like, what the fuck did I just watch? And it's not good at all. This is actually when you're saying that at the end of this movie, uh, there's a smile on your face and like, holy shit, th- did I just see what I think I saw? And it's odd and bizarre and weird and awkward in all the best ways possible. So we're going to talk about this movie. I'm not going to try not to go through, you know, scene by scene and and talk about it, but we are going to talk about the movie through the perspective of the characters and the actors who play them. And the first character is the main character, Millicent, played by Morgan Saylor. And I have to say, she does a really good job because she carries the lion's share of all of the awkward dialogue and all the awkward moments and all the awkward things and feelings that you're supposed to feel, uh, the bizarreness and the unease and the unnerving. Uh, she really carries the weight of that in her performance. And and I thought she did a really good job. For an actress, I'm not, I'm not 100% familiar with her work. I know she's done some work in, in shows I've either watched or, or heard about. She's in that show Homeland. Uh, she was uh, had a, a little bit of a brief part in The Sopranos. She pre- played a young version of Meadow. Uh, she's done a lot of things. She's been on a lot of shows, just not a lot that I've watched. But after seeing her performance in this, I, I'm really interested to to see other things that she's done, especially if she uh, gets into doing more horror movies. Now, she is a complicated character because with everyone she interacts with, you really kind of get a different story as to who she is. And this is going to be one of the big spoilers is that she is a different person for everybody she interacts with. When she is with the family, she's Millicent. She's a 21-year-old college student who's taken a break as she works on her thesis, and she's into alternative medicines and trying to help kids with allergies and ailments like that through these alternative medicines. Right off the bat, she uh, has a scene with the mother, Rebecca, played by Kat Foster, and the young son, Johnny, played by Danilo Crivetti, and you see she's good with kids right off the bat because she comes across as very innocent and very kind. And, you know, Kat is talking, or the Rebecca character is talking to her husband, Jacob, played by Miko Olivier, uh, later that they, you know, she's 20 years old, 21 years old, but Rebecca is certain she's a virgin. But then when she is with other people, when she is with this doctor, played by Keith Powell, Dr. Welsh, her therapist, she is different. She is a high school kid. I believe he references her as a high school kid or being in school. And she's very weak and very unsure and very kind of, uh, you know, her, her voice wavers. She's always on the verge of tears. Uh, she you know keeps insisting that she has problems and, and essentially so she can get get this medicine that she is taking because Dr. Welsh is 
one of these doctors that is trying alternative uh, medicines and alternative cures for allergies and other sorts of ailments. And we find out that he is giving her uh, LSD. And you can even say, he even says at the beginning that, you know, she has to take low doses because larger doses are going to give her hallucinations. And, and in that first meeting with him, she has like one of her first hallucinations where like his, he's sitting in a chair across from her. And all of a sudden you've got this, this shot of the two of them, one on each side of the screen. And you see something like, did I just see what I think I saw? And it's the doctor's finger falling off. And then as they're having this conversation, uh, Millicent or, or whenever she's with this doctor, she goes by Mary Beth, which is uh, another kind of thing that uh, they don't really focus on, but you, you get it real quick. And it all starts making sense by the end of the movie. But you see this finger crawling across the floor towards her. And and I have to admit, the CG wasn't horrible there. Uh, the finger starts crawling up the leg, her leg. Uh, that's not as good as CG, but still not horrible. Then all of a sudden, the finger crawls into her mouth. Now, that was some pretty shitty CG. But luckily, they were very limited in the CG that they did with this movie. And we'll, we'll talk about that a little later. But but you have this character played by uh, Morgan Saylor, who you've seen her go by Millicent with this family. You've seen her go by Mary Beth with her therapist. And she has, as we find out through some, some not horrible exposition uh, when she's talking with her therapist. I think, uh, you know, when you're when you're working with a therapist in a movie, you know, two characters are talking and one of them is a therapist, you can get away with some more uh, exposition that you wouldn't normally be able to get away with in a movie. So I, I thought the exposition was was well. Uh, but, you know, we find out that this character, Millicent, uh, or Mary Beth, as she is with a therapist, has been in the foster system and that she has had some trauma with some of her foster fathers. She even makes reference to this on multiple occasions about how they've, you know, they've all, they're all the same. They've all tried to, to make, and it's alluded to that they've all tried to make sexual advances towards her. But we find that she's still with, uh, she's still in the foster system, or at least she is with a man that is her foster father. And we find even another persona with her where she goes by Emily with her foster father. And in this persona, she is, is almost very kind of uh, naively flirtatious. And you really get the sense that he is into her. Uh, there's reference to whenever you turn, you promised me when you turned 18 that there there was some sort of promise of, of sex to, to keep this guy strung along. There's also a reference to what uh, what may have happened to this guy's wife at the possibly the behest of the Millicent Mary Beth Emily character. But I think Morgan Saylor does a really good job with all these different personas, the the Millicent. They're all very much connected, but they're all very much slightly different uh, because it really plays into the fact that she tells people what she wants she or tells people what they they want to hear she is a a master manipulator to get what she wants and you know maybe that is because she's been in the system she's been uh, you know a, a kid in the foster system uh, she hasn't really had anyone to guide her she's had uh, horrible experiences with with her foster fathers and then now this now I, I want to say right off the bat, this isn't an indictment on the foster care system because uh, I know a lot of foster parents out there that are 
fantastic and wonderful people, but in the context of this movie, in the context of this world, uh, in context of this character, this character has not had a good experience in the foster system. And while I know some some lovely people who who foster kids and have gone on to adopt them and are just wonderful people doing wonderful things uh, to help kids. You know, there are some people, some ne'er-do-wells out there. And and that's kind of where this movie is coming from, that perspective of this one character's situation and her experience with, uh, you know, some, some foster parents that weren't good people. So like I said, not an indictment on the foster system, uh, but in the context of this movie, uh, there are some bad apples in that. And, and our character is has really experienced some of the worst of those apples. But Morgan Saylor really does a good job with portraying these different versions of the same character. In each version is, like I said, telling uh, the people around her what they want to hear to advance what she wants. And in this case, you've got this family, Rebecca, Jacob, and Johnny, where Millicent has kind of insinuated herself into this family, probably through... Uh, through Dr. Welsh, because we find out later that Dr. Welsh is Johnny's doctor and is is trying alternative uh, treatments for his issues, which we'll get into that in a second. So you, you have to imagine that she got connected with this family uh, through the doctor, through knowledge she gained from the doctor, and has come into this family to kind of, I don't know if it's the initial intent. I have to imagine it had to be all by design because like I said, this this girl is a master manipulator, but you have to imagine that she's coming into this situation, much like her foster father, she got him to do something to his wife. Uh, you have to imagine that she is trying to manipulate the situation to get the mother out of the picture. And right off the bat, we find out that she wants to take the place of the mother in this, this family dynamic. Now, we'll kind of talk about the two parents uh, kind of together. Uh, Rebecca, played by Kat Foster, and Jacob, the, the husband, played by Miko Olivier. Uh, they Both of them did a pretty good job uh, as far as actors go. Um, not, not hugely familiar with a lot of their work. I know Kat Foster has been in, in quite a few things that uh, I've never watched, uh, usually movies that aren't quite my cup of tea, uh, but she's been in, in quite a bit over the years. Uh, Miko Olivier, he's done several things. Uh, I know he was in an episode of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., uh, has done a lot of work over the years. There again, not any work that I've been uh, terribly familiar with, but a lot of things that I have heard of. So, you know, this guy has been around and, and both of them did a, a pretty good job. Uh, Rebecca is an author. She writes books that uh, we see some of the titles and they are, she's really into like the S&M stuff. Uh, she's in one of her books, something about sex and pain or love and pain, something like that. And in some of her uh, intimate relations with Jacob, you know, he's wanting her to or she's wanting him to, to choke her while they're uh, getting busy and he's just not into that anymore. So she's she's really kind of latched on to some more violent and pain-inducing ways to, to cope with the problems that they're having, or maybe it's something that's always been inherent in her. 
but she is a hard and severe woman. Uh, she's just not terribly friendly. Uh, she is constantly nitpicking and nagging the Jacob character. Jacob is a hardworking guy, kind of works with his hands. We see him a lot out in the woodshop building things, and he's you know kind of the rugged man's man. And for the most part, we learn a lot about who these two characters are through their relationship together and through their relationship with their sick son, Johnny, who was originally diagnosed as being autistic. They decided that he wasn't, that he has all these allergies. He can't touch anything. He can't eat anything. Uh, he doesn't speak uh, when he... Uh, has some sort of reaction. He reacts violently, screaming and thrashing. He bites and scratches at Rebecca and other people. And this takes a toll on Rebecca and Jacob's relationship. Jacob wants to send their son off to some hospital that can take care of him. Uh, the wife doesn't. She wants to keep him. All they have to do is just keep adhering to this uh, regimen of of alternative uh, treatments, and they'll they'll treat his allergies that way, and and they'll they'll make it work but this kind of disconnect between these two parents on how to how to best care for their child draws a, a wedge between them which is uh, the big enough opening for somebody like Millicent to come in and try to seduce Jacob which she does and drive a wedge between uh, him and Rebecca now the Johnny character is an interesting character because uh, the young actor Danilo Crivetti is uh, another actor that you know again uh, not terribly familiar with uh, with a lot of his work. He's on that show Hunters. Uh, he did an episode of Hunters, uh, a TV series on Amazon Prime that I've never watched. I've always wanted to to go watch that, but he hasn't. He's done a couple other things other than that. I know one interesting fact that he is the cousin of Cameron Crivetti and Nicholas Crivetti. Of course, Cameron Crivetti and Nicholas Crivetti were in the remake of Goodnight Mommy. Uh, Cameron Crivetti plays uh, Ryan in The Boys. So when I saw him on the screen, I was like, is that one of the Crivetti brothers? And then I found out it wasn't. Uh, he was actually a cousin of the Crivetti brothers. But uh, but he does a, a really good job, too, for having not any, for not having any speaking roles, uh, so to speak, and having to do all his uh, acting through through physical acts and through physical violence and through looks and through gestures. Uh, he did a really good job with that to play a special needs child like that. Uh, you know, he did a fantastic job of, of, of playing this character, Johnny, who we don't know a lot about because we don't really get to hear much from his perspective. I mean, he draws things all the time. He loves this spacesuit that he wears around looking like an astronaut. He develops a connection with Millicent right away because she, she speaks to him on his level. Uh, so to speak, um, even though she's chided for uh, speaking down to him, she she speaks to him with care and kindness, and, and he kind of attaches to that. But then he has these outbreaks and this violence, and we get some illusions from Rebecca and from Jacob as to uh, seeing Johnny's true self. And it really is almost kind of uh, foreboding in a foreshadowing sort of way, which we'll find out at the end of the movie. But this movie, for the most part, is the Millicent character trying to drive a wedge between Jacob and Johnny and Rebecca. She wants to take over their family. She wants to take Rebecca's place in this family. And, and we got to get a lot of interesting scenes. Uh, there's, uh, of course, a lot of LSD 
uh, trippy. <laughs> There's a scene on the on the bus where she uh, has this hallucination that this guy standing next to her uh, turns into this horned demon devil guy who's uh, who's you know uh, molesting her. There were a lot of uh, trippy LSD induced hallucination scenes that that are quite interesting to look at. There are also a lot of well, not a lot, but there are a few sex scenes in this. Like I said, that uh, really push some boundaries. There's a the sex scene between uh, Jacob and Rebecca where she wants him to choke her. Uh, there's the initial sex scene in the car between Millicent and Jacob uh, as she starts to sink her claws into him. There's a scene where the two of them are having sex in the backyard. It's very uh, hard and, and not violent, but very uh, jarring to watch and, and the, the screams. And then you see uh, Johnny up in the, the window of the house watching and kind of screaming himself, uh, freaking out. It, it it was a really weird and bizarre scene. But then as this movie amps up, because for the most part, I won't call this a slow burn uh, because there's a lot of weird and interesting things going on throughout this, but you really don't feel too much horror. You get a lot of allusions to uh, horror. Uh, Millicent says things almost backhandedly that, that make you think, oh, she's up to no good. You have the comments by Rebecca and Jacob as to Johnny's true nature that uh, are really kind of foreboding. But once you get towards the end of that second act where things start to ratchet up, uh, there's one really interesting scene between Millicent and her her foster father. It's right after Millicent had sex in the car with Jacob and and he's waiting in the house for her. And that's where you get that scene where or that dialogue where he says, you promised once you were 18, you know, uh, wink, wink, dot, 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 that we we're going to uh, knock boots. And she starts to seduce him and, and tells him to take his belt off. And, and she has his belt. And the next thing you know, she's behind him with that belt around his throat and strangles him to death. And then you cut to another scene where she's dragging him wrapped in a tarp out to this empty pool in the backyard that we've seen her sitting there spitting watermelon seeds into a, a very innocent scene, it looks like. But then uh, you look down into the, this empty pool where she tosses the body. And I don't know if there's other bodies there, uh, but I think there's definitely the the foster mother's body down in that pool. And you know that she had this husband kill his wife or, or maybe even she did it and and convinced him that he did it or I, I don't know uh, maybe some gaslighting going on there but she definitely manipulated the system situation to where you know the wife was killed he was fine with it and she kept leading him on thinking that there was going to be something between them so she would have a home a place to go and then in one of the most chilling scenes, I think, of this movie, we've seen her get this book down. She keeps it hidden up on the blade of a ceiling fan, but she gets this book down after she's killed her foster father. And we've seen her clip a bit of his hair off the, the back of his head. And she goes into this book, and it's a scrapbook. And it is uh, each page has a foster father of hers and what that foster father did to her. And a lot of it has to do with sex and touching and things like that. And she takes the lock of his hair and puts it in that after writing his name and, and what he did. And you see that he's not the first foster father that she has uh, killed and took a lock of his hair and kept it in this scrapbook as a, as a trophy. I mean, she is, this is the scene that really uh, 
puts her in the light of a serial killer. And she makes reference how, uh, I believe later, maybe when she's talking with Dr. Welch, we'll talk about that coming up, but she talks about how, you know, she looked back and, and found out about some of these, some of these former foster fathers that, uh, that she disposed of and how they were always chalked up as curious suicides, but we know it was her. We know she has killed before and she has killed multiple times. And like I said, this really puts her in the light that this is a serial killer that we are dealing with. And that's really where you kind of the darkness really sets in with this movie. We see her in the office of her therapist, Dr. Welsh, and she's talking to him, but we don't see him or hear him. And then next thing, the camera pans out and, and you see him lying on the floor with, with foamy stuff coming out of his mouth. She's poisoned him somehow. We get to the climax where she's kind of set this up by really uh, tapping into Johnny and making him uh, becoming friends with him and taking care of him. She's dosing him with LSD to help uh, alleviate his issues because he doesn't have any allergies. That's just what Rebecca is telling everyone. That's what she's telling him is that he's got allergies when it's it's some other problem. But LSD uh, it kind of helps him a little bit. It helps him to even talk at points where he's he's essentially calling Millicent his mom, and and Millicent uses that and uh, tries to convince Johnny to kill Rebecca. Millicent gives him that knife. And the climax of this movie is so crazy because you've got Johnny and Rebecca. Johnny stabs Rebecca in the hand and and she ends up, he never kills her. Uh, but then she sees Millicent down with her husband down in the workshop and they're getting ready to have sex and she goes and stabs Millicent. Millicent being stabbed in the back uh, makes her way up the, the porch stairs to where Johnny is looking for Johnny to to help her, to tell his mother, no, don't kill her. I love her. She's she's the one. She's the mother I want. You're waiting for that moment. And then all of a sudden, knife in hand, Johnny starts stabbing the shit out of Millicent. And then when it's all said and done from Rebecca and Jacob, you don't get a, oh my God, what did you do? What, how, how could you? It's, this has happened before. And uh, I guess we got to take care of the body sort of situation. And then we find out through some exposition that this is not the first babysitter. All the babysitters that have come before have met the same fate from Johnny, who has shown his true self. And they decide to bury her in the backyard with the in the little grove of apple trees that they've got going on there. Uh, they talk about how if he keeps this up, they're going to have to buy the lot behind their house. To, to keep being able to bury bodies. It's just a very fucked up ending. And then that scene with Rebecca and Johnny and and the fact that, you know, they're not going to try to treat him anymore for these quote-unquote allergies. They're just going to uh, accept him for who he is and accept his true self. And it's, it's so jacked up. And then when you get to the end credits, uh, you get that scene that is, uh, you know, kind of a cutaway underground and the camera pans along uh, as the credits roll and you see all the bodies of all these uh, all these other nannies that Johnny has killed in the past. It reminded me of the alternate ending for uh, Secret Window. 
uh, that David Kep movie, uh, because at the end of the movie, once the uh, Johnny Depp character buries his ex-wife and her her new husband, the camera pans down into the dirt. And then it jump cuts to Johnny Depp biting into your corn. Well, there's actually an alternate ending where the camera keeps panning down to uh, a, like a cutaway underground of where the, the two bodies are buried under there. And I know David Kep said that they didn't do that because it felt kind of Tales from the Crypt-like. It, it felt like what you would see in a Tales from the Crypt episode. He didn't want to quite do that, go there with this movie. Uh, so that's why they cut that. But this really reminded me of that. And that's really what this whole movie kind of felt like. It had like Tales from the Crypt vibes to it. It also felt maybe a little like The Hand That Rocks the Cradle meets some other movie. I, I can't quite put my finger on it. I wanted to say The Minus Man, but not not really. Uh, this kind of had more of a two serial killers inadvertently going after one another story to it, which, which was quite interesting. You know, one serial killer uh, fucking with the wrong family because in that family is a, another serial killer. And when she has gone through all her machinations to to get what she wants uh we find out surprise there's another serial killer in the mix that has been stalking her the whole time uh so it was just really an interesting uh, take on the movie uh, a really interesting story that they did here and i really enjoyed it so yeah i got a tip of the hat to the writer of this uh, screenplay uh leah saint marie who wrote this uh, mercedes bryce morgan who who directed this they both did a really excellent job with telling a really good story was it a perfect story no i mean there there were some uh, there were some lines of dialogue that weren't as good as others there was some acting that wasn't as good as other things like i said some of the cg work uh was less than desirable but the one thing i really did dig is the fact that they used you know I mentioned the CG, but they didn't use a ton of it. They went with a lot of practical effects, a lot of special effects makeup, and a lot of practical blood, which I applaud that morning, noon, and night because this uh, is a, a better movie because they didn't go with a bunch of shitty CG blood. And and I really enjoyed the fact that they used some practical effects makeup and and some of it was really gross, you know, when when Millicent is being stabbed by Johnny, just all the the hacking at her face and all the all the hits of the, the knife were just really well done. It was gory and bloody and and nasty looking. When Johnny stabs his mother Rebecca in the hand, it was it was all done practically and, and it looked good and it was done very well. And it just you know when when you do practical effects like that, it just adds a a little bit of realism when uh, when CG is is ninety percent of the time unless you're spending big dollars on a CG budget, CG looks CG and it looks fake and it looks bad. And, and I know it's an easy alternative for lower budget movies to to do some of the gore and some of the special effects that they want to do, but ultimately it does a disservice to what is generally otherwise a good movie. And so I think that was one of the smart things that Mercedes Bryce Morgan did with Spoonful of Sugar is, is stick with some practical effects. And, and they were done very well and, and ultimately made this a better movie. So like I said, all in all, I really dug Spoonful of Sugar. I, I loved it from the beginning. They did this really haunting uh, version of that Oh My Darling Clementine 
but they they start off with the traditional lyrics and then go into some lyrics that I've never heard before. Uh, and I've heard a lot of the lyrics of uh, Omidara and Clementine. We, we sang that in music class when I was a kid in fifth grade. Uh, so so I know the, the verses and, and there's lines in this in this rendition that uh, oh my darling Clementine, just a baby and a daddy. Little mommy, so entwined. Is she a whore or maybe more? Family sorrow. I think it ends with the the traditional line, Lost Forever Clementine. It was just a really haunting and creepy way to start off this movie. And and just from there, it just got more creepy and more weird. And it, there was a haunting feeling about it. Some of the uh, some of the sound design was interesting. Some of the shots were interesting. Uh, I, I thought, you know, from a from a visual perspective, I thought the lighting was really good. There were some, uh, you know, vibrant colors against darkness, and I just really loved the look. I loved the acting. I thought all the actors did a fantastic job, especially Morgan Saylor, who really carried the weight of all the creepiness and all the weirdness of this movie on her shoulders. And the the fact that they were very subtle with this character, they didn't make her over the top, they didn't uh, explain everything, they left you enough breadcrumbs to lead you where you needed to go, but left enough to the imagination to wonder, okay, okay she's this here she's that there she's somebody else here maybe there's some sort of split personality uh maybe she's just manipulative It, it raises questions but never gives you the answers but there are questions that you don't need the answers to to get to the final conclusion of it it just adds a richer texture to this character and and what the hell is going on with this character to lead her to this point and that to me is good writing that's good performance and that's a, that's a good movie and that's ultimately what you have here with spoonful of sugar like i said is it the greatest movie no but is it a really good movie i i think so being a really good horror movie without having those traditional horror elements you don't have a lot of scares but you do have a lot of tension you do have a lot of those unnerved feelings you have a lot of that uh, bizarreness in in dialogue that just make you think oh something is not right with this person uh it, it gives you all the atmosphere of a horror film and then it really pays it off with some death and dismemberment and mayhem at the end when you have uh, Millicent being hacked to death by Johnny, uh, when you have the the bodies buried underneath the backyard, underneath the apple trees. It, it gives you uh, enough horror to, to sate your appetite for blood and guts and, and gore and mayhem uh, without being over the top with it. This was a very deftly executed well-crafted a little bit psychological a little bit atmospheric a little bit physical horror film that uh, that i thought was was a joy to watch is it something i'm going to go back and watch over and over again probably not but it's a movie i'm really glad i watched this was one time and if if i happen to see it being played on the uh it came from shutter that, that always has a movie running when you open up the app i'd probably sit there and watch uh, the rest of it or or watch some more of it because it was an enjoyable watch that uh, that 
I, like I said, I'm not going to probably sit down to watch it all over again, but I wouldn't mind catching a little bit of it uh, if I should happen upon it again. So I want to thank everyone for listening to my thoughts on the new Shudder original, Spoonful of Sugar, directed by Mercedes Bryce Morgan. You can check it out on Shudder right now. Uh, I think definitely worth a watch, at least one watch. I think you should check it out and, and see for yourself, see if you like it. You may not like it. You may enjoy it as much, if not more than me, uh, but I think it is worth taking the time to, to check it out and watch this flick. So I want to thank everyone for listening to my thoughts on Spoonful of Sugar. You can check out more that's going on with Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop on our Facebook page. We're always posting trailers to the latest uh, movies and series that are coming out in horror, fantasy, and science fiction. Always posting articles to you know, that we find all over the internet about the genres that we love, and I always try to add my two cents. Uh, be looking out for uh, a brand new episode of Odds Bodkin's Curiosity shop coming up on thursday we're going to talk about another nanny with uh, ill intent in her mind and in her heart as we talk about nocebo another uh, shutter original that uh, we'll, we'll discuss on thursday's episode don't forget to check us out on instagram and whatever you do wherever you listen to this podcast no matter where the platform please follow it subscribe to it like it uh, share the episodes with anyone you know that loves horror fantasy and science fiction and please leave a review five stars would be awesome but whatever review you leave we do appreciate that so until next time thank you for visiting odds bodkins curiosity shop we hope that you found something to your liking and visit the shop again soon but even though you may come back you never really get to leave odds bodkins curiosity shop ha 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 ha